Pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Homestone you proudly presents Trekquest 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for Trekquest 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 174. I am Peter. And I am Joey. And we're joined once again by Aaron, uh, the intern. Welcome back, Aaron. Um, I'm glad you came down. It's a Saturday afternoon, so you had time, right? Yeah. It doesn't interrupt his Dungeons and dragons All right, that's fine. We're, we're reasonably okay with Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. But the podcast is more important. <laughs> Um, okay, everyone, it has been, yet again, a number of weeks since we last recorded, um, but I, the consistency has just flown out the window. We used to be really good at this, but we're not. I realize we're not anymore. Um, but a ton of stuff has happened. Yeah. Joey got hit by a horse. <laughs> um, I got to meet one of my childhood, uh, um, uh, I, not idols, but, uh, um, actors who I really enjoyed, I'm sure there's a term for that. Um, uh, tons and tons of cool stuff has happened. Kevin Sorbo? Yes. Kevin Sorbo is dreamy, and <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit I have a crush on him. <laughs> All right. He was Hercules. No. So I'll do my thing first. Okay. Um, we had uh, Salt Lake Comic Con happened. And I guess it's I heard you know differing things, you know oh this this was the first year we've ever done this oh no you know we've done this before, and I hadn't ever I I've still not heard anything definitive. This one clearly has been like huge, like it was a big big deal. Tons of people came down and big success. It's the first year they've called it Comic Con. Yes, it's it's the first Comic Con. But they've done something yes. before in Salt Lake. Yes, okay. this is the science fiction convention, I think, is what it was called before. Right, okay. We've got a lot of big names. I mean, obviously, Shatner, Stan Lee showed yep. up, yep. Kevin Sorbo, um, Adam West, Burt Ward. Lou Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno. I would have liked to have gone and met Lou. That would have been pretty cool. Okay, so I, I walked by his desk a few times, and I wanted to, you know, just get a, a sense of size. <laughs> and son of a gun. The dude is huge. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not only tall, uh, but his arms are massive. And uh, someone I met, you know, was trying to tell me, oh, yeah, he's been juicing. You know, he's been juicing since the 70s. And I was like, okay, I guess. I, I have no idea. And he was like, yeah, he's still juicing today. I was like, well, that's a pretty bold statement to make for a guy who's, <laughs> you know, you've never met before. And just because he's really ripped, you assume. You know, he's juicing well in his, in his 60s, I yeah, believe. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, so I've questioned that. Maybe he did during the 70s, but I'm betting he's off it now. Anyway, just, just wanted to throw that out. To defend 
Lou Ferrigno. I feel like he needed to be defended. Hey, dude's the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. I don't think he needs you defending him. Um, he was wearing a blue shirt. I really would have preferred it be a green shirt. Uh, but, you know, maybe he's just, he doesn't want Sick to be typecast. Sick of the color green. Yeah. <laughs> maybe he's now allergic to green dye. <laughs> so did you hear the thing about uh, Stan Lee? Uh, no, uh, Stanley was a late addition. It was, oh my gosh, Stanley says he wants to come, and like it was just a few days before Comic Con was happening. He only came down for one day. It's he was scheduled at I believe Baltimore Comic Con, and when he heard how big ours was supposed to be, he was like, hey, you know I've gone to Baltimore Comic Con three years in a row. Let's check out Salt Lake and like canceled on him. Really, I and hadn't they, they heard had that. They had a thing up on their website that said, "We apologize due to circumstances beyond our control." Stanley <laughs> can no longer make it. Yeah, Salt Lake is circumstances beyond control. Um, yeah. So anyway, the big person that I really wanted to go down there and meet was Adrian Paul, um, who most people might recognize as um, Duncan McLeod from the Clan McLeod who played in Highlander the series. And he ended up doing a few movies under the Highlander name. Um, that, let me just say, don't anyone ever watch Highlander the Source. <laughs> it is terrible. It's such a horrible it is movie. dreadful beyond all comprehension. I don't it's know if bad. any of them were worth watching other than the first one. No, they were. I I really enjoyed uh, all of the Highlander movies. I I, I had fun okay. with them. Did you get a meeting? They were great. Yes, I did. So I paid the 30 bucks. So I paced back and forth a few times. I was like trying to wait for the line not to be too long so I wouldn't feel rushed so I could be able to talk to him for a little bit. And then I was like, okay, let's go now. And I'm standing in front of some old guy who didn't even actually buy anything. He wasn't going up there to buy an autograph. He just wanted to go up there and talk to him. And so he's talking to him while I'm sitting there waiting, having put down my 30 bucks. And I was like, you know what? Screw you, old man. I paid. I want to be talking to this guy. Get the heck out of here. Um, I didn't say those things because I was afraid. You're a coward. Yep. Um, <laughs> So I get up there and I start talking to him. I'm like, "Listen, I'm a huge fan. I've really loved all of the, you know, the, what you did with Highlander." I didn't mention Highlander the Source, although I had that conversation in my head. I was like, "Should I mention how terrible that movie is?" And in the end, I was like, "No," because he directed and produced it, <laughs> <laughs> as well as starred in it, I believe, or he was he was either one a director or a producer. I can't remember which. And anyway, uh, he's still in great shape. Shook his hand, a good hand, a good handshake. Um, it, it was it was worth the thirty bucks for me, and he signed the my my little um, autograph card or the, a picture of him, a little eight by ten glossy, and I keep it at work. Yeah, now. I've it, seen it. Um, it for me was if I did nothing else at Comic Con, that alone was just worth it for me. Okay, that alone, but. There was so much more awesome stuff. <laughs> so I wasn't sure if I was going to go because work has been pretty hectic. We've talked about it. It's still pretty hectic. But I decided, you know what? I want to take the Friday off. I want to go down. I want to be there all day. And so I did. And it was phenomenal. I was exhausted by the end of it. My back hurt. My I couldn't feel my legs anymore from walking around all day. 
But there was so much cool stuff. Aside from all of the artists that were there, there were tons of of booths of people, you know, selling various things. There was a, a Lego booth. Yeah, I where saw the Lego stuff on Lego had, you know, put together, you know, stuff from Lord of the Rings. Um, there were other movies that they had done and they had this working train set all made out of Legos. It was so amazing. Weta Workshop was down there. You, Some of you may know that was the, the team that did a lot of the Lord of the Rings stuff. Um, and, you know, they were pushing The Hobbit really pretty hard because, you know, that's, sure, the, yeah. that's the movies that are out right now. I didn't spend that much time at the Weta booth. Really? Yeah, I, I thought it was would have spent a lot of time. I thought it was was too much. It was like they were throwing like too much at it, and I was <laughs> like, nah, I'd rather go hang out at other stuff. Um, anyway, I bought some merchandise. One of which I'm wearing right now. Yeah? It's a T-shirt. Nice Doctor Who T-shirt. Yes, uh, I got a compliment at. I was uh, grocery shopping last weekend, and I was just going along through Smith's and some girl said, oh man, that shirt is so awesome. Yeah, look at this, what I have. And she pulled out and she had um, the uh, this, a sonic screwdriver. <laughs> and so I was like, wow, okay. And I chatted <laughs> with this with this nice girl for a little while. Um, 35 bucks at uh, Barnes & Noble. Yeah, I'm sure there's Today. probably lo- loads of, of different kind out there. I got a couple of other things I wanted to show you guys, not okay. just tell you about them. I wanted to show them. So I'm going to get up for a second, and you know, you guys can start uh, you know, talking about them once you see me okay. in them. So just ha- hang on so for a is, second. This is the Trek West 5 fashion show. Yeah, this is. A little <laughs> bit of it's a bit of fashion show. <laughs> okay, so here, here comes Pete wearing a police box robe. Yes. Uh, uh, do you have something on under that robe? I hope. <laughs> Maybe it's it's actually a, it looks like a nice robe. It looks pretty comfortable. Uh yeah, super nice. And this uh, so w- one of the cool surprises as I try and fix the mic here. Um, while when I got there, I see this buddy of mine. I'm like, hey, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I'm selling this stuff. And this is the robe. You know, his, some of the gear that he was okay. selling. And this is one of the things. This is. Super nice, nice plush. and terry material. Yes. Yeah, it looks way very comfortable. comfortable. Now I'm not a robe guy, really. But you are now. I'm wearing this the rest of my life. Are you kidding me? <laughs> You're coming to work in that Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so comfortable, so nice. Um, also, uh, they they were selling a um, and a Doctor Who towel. Yes. Which Aaron, you can see here. Yeah, looks like the police the, box. The, yeah, the, yeah, the actual police box. Um, I really don't. I never go to the beach. I, <laughs> I never go swimming. I mean, I guess I take showers occasionally, but this isn't the type of towel I would really use for that. But I got the towel because it just looked so cool, and I, I just had to have it. So I ended up spending it was I, all I want, Doctor Who stuff. Yeah. All Doctor Who stuff. With all of the other like sci-fi yeah. geek stuff that I could have bought, I just you, gravitated you to, Who. Okay. to all of the Doctor Who stuff. So, I mean, there there were plenty of other gear that, that I could have got. Sure. But in the end, I, I decided on this. Um, so, let me just fix the mic again. So, I know we had, we had talked about me possibly going with you at one point. Um, I, I begged off, let me, let me just, I, I, I don't remember if I've said this before on the podcast, but I'm going to say it again, just in case a Comic-Con looks like the kind of thing that 
I wish I could go enjoy. Uh, the people there certainly look like they're having fun. They, I'm, I'm, I, I love the cultural things that go on there. I just could not stand being around that many strangers. Okay, and fair point. Because it's, it's paralyzing for me. There are. It was packed. I think. Uh, what's I that? I heard a hundred thousand. Yeah, maybe that was you know the the big total. Afterward, I heard about somewhere between fifty to eighty thousand at one point. You know, maybe over the course of the three days when I was there, like when I first got there, it wasn't that bad. But that's because I got there right in the morning time, right? Um, or I guess you said by the time I got in, it was maybe like twelve or twelve thirty. I stood in line for like an hour, um, which I should maybe talk about the people that I stood around. <laughs> maybe I should let me do that now. So I'm in line. And, you know, the people in front of me, one dude was dressed up as the Punisher. The okay. other person, the other girl was dressed up as Poison Ivy. And I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. And, you know, she was pretty comfortable with <laughs> her costume of Poison Ivy. Um, then there were people behind me. And so I'm hearing conversations uh, both ahead and behind. I'm all alone. I'm just by myself. Um and there were a couple of times I was like, my gosh, why do I have to be around these people? <laughs> these are terrible. And then I realized, these are my people. <laughs> Quit nerd shaming, Pete. Yes. <laughs> why am I you know, getting frustrated? These are people who just, they love it too. And so I, it, it changed my perspective a little bit. Yeah, they were still, you know, I mean, in general... They, you know, were kind of stupid. You know, they were saying a couple of dim-witted things like, oh, yeah, I totally have this opinion that's based off of nothing at all except, you know, what I've heard. You know, silly things like that that yeah. just frustrate me in general. But as a whole, I was like, you know what? I am surrounded by people who are just like me, who love certain things that, you know what? It's okay that we're going to be a little bit dorky. And, you know, that was good. I was fine. Once we get in, you know, wandering around just like in awe of like the, 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 the salt palace, which they had the whole thing opened up um, and there was just so much, so much. And there were so many people in the morning it wasn't too bad, but as the afternoon got on and then into the evening, it was packed. There were literally tons of people. And while they kept it well air conditioned, yeah, it got pretty sweaty after a while, yeah. you know, walking around all day. Yeah, I just I can't imagine being in a large crowd like that and being able to feel comfortable in any way, shape, or form. I would just be mad at myself for spending the money to go hide in a corner and feel awkward. Totally. It was, in the end, I, I feel the same way about y people that you do. I don't like them. Um, but the, the aspect of seeing so many cool things, I just... I forgot it about the people. overwhelmed it for you. Okay. Yeah, you know, it, it, it didn't become a, a big deal. Um, I, it, there was, it was a sea. I mean, you know, there were regular people or people dressed up in regular clothes, but there were lots and lots and lots of costumes. It was a sea of spandex and face <laughs> and body paint. Like it was, and some costumes were really, really cool. And I, after about three hours, finally worked up the nerve to ask people to take their pictures. Up until that point, I would like surreptitiously hold my iPod off to the side <laughs> and take a picture. And then after a while, I'm like, 
Dude, everyone is taking pictures of everybody else here, and everyone's fine with it. Well, yeah, I, I don't think people who dress up dress up to be ignored. Yeah, well, for the first three hours, I was just in this mode of, <laughs> okay, don't be a weird pervert guy, because, you know, I'm 36, <laughs> you know, hanging around, you know, doing stuff that's like, well, really, shouldn't this just be for teenagers? Uh, but I, I did, took, took a bunch of pictures. I wanted to post it up to Facebook. Um, I just haven't gotten around to, to doing it yet, um, and you know my I was doing it with my iPod, so the the quality isn't super great. Um, but go to a BronyCon next year. Uh, I want to no. see how much that magnifies that feeling of don't be a perv. I I saw some people dressed up in uh, costumes, uh, uh, the My Little Pony costumes. Oh, really? Everybody was represented. <laughs> Everybody was yeah. represented at this thing. See, I, I I've watched a few times the uh, the DVDs or the the recordings they make of the Penny Arcade Expo packs, and just watching the video and the people milling about and stuff like that, I start to break out in a cold sweat. Here's the thing. Yeah, you probably would. I, I don't I'm not gonna take that away from you. You probably would because there is tons of people and everybody is rubbing up against everybody yes. as you're walking around. Lots but of touching and as I was going through personal space issues. <laughs> when I was going through what they called Artist Alley, I just was thinking all the time, Joey would love looking at this stuff. I guarantee you he would love this artist. He would absolutely think this is so cool, you know. And I, I I don't know how you can do it. I don't know if there's some I, I drug they make that you medication can take. for that. Yes. <laughs> but we could get you those horse blinders where you, you don't see the other side. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that that would be. Uh... Anyway, it's going to happen again next year. It proved itself in a big way. Yeah, they're going to get a lot of other big stars to come through. I'm confident. I, for one, I'm going back next year, and I think you should come along with me. My, I'm, I, my nephew almost came. Like he, he was talking about it back in May when it was just going to be a small thing, and he was like, "No, I'm not going to go." And then I told him, and he was like kicking himself because there was so much cool stuff. So he's probably going to come up and and go with me next year. It's do it, absolutely do it. If this was my very first Comic Con. Everything was wonderful. If you've ne- ever have a chance to go to a con of some sort, do it because they are a blast. I'll, t- I'll tell you, if I do go, I hope Lou Ferrigno is there. I would love to get a recording of Lou Ferrigno saying, this is the Incredible Hulk and you're listening to Trek West 5. Yeah, so I, I ran into my friend John Madsen there and you know he, he wanted to get uh, Dwight Schultz, okay. uh, who played Murdoch and uh, Lieutenant Barkley. Um, and... He ended up doing it. He he managed to get the recording. So maybe head over to John's uh, podcast or watch a Star Trek for the first time. Um, and I'm sure he'll probably be putting it in at some yeah. point because um, I know I think they recorded last night. But anyway, that just it's awesome. Definitely do it. I'd, I'd go back again. Right on. I've I've heard uh, that if you're going to go to the Comic Con next year, will be the time to go. Because apparently a lot of the people had a really good experience here, like Lou Ferrigno and those guys. So, you know, they're talking about coming back. Um, I know the guy you spoke to. Adrian Paul. Yeah. So uh, my friend Bob had lunch with them, as well as uh, Dan ate with them once during the con as well. How did that happen? I need to introduce you to Bob. They're famous people. Yeah. Kid you not. 
They write for Wizards of the Coast. Create, okay. Create video game, or uh-huh. not video game, uh, role-playing game modules and stuff like that. They're published authors. They're, I mean, they hang out with Brandon Sanderson. So, so you're talking about how you were waiting for that old guy to, to get out of the way. They started 15 minutes late with his go up and talk to him and have him sign stuff. For that whole 15 minutes while whatever was going on that they wouldn't let people in, Dan, my friend Dan was in there just talking to him. Like, really? Were you supposed to start 15 minutes ago? Uh, let's just talk. So, yeah. Um, and I bet Bob could help you do something like that. Like, talk to one of those guys because he's in the green room all the time. And But uh, they set it up for, like, 45,000 max. So all the aisles and stuff were smaller than they mm-hmm. should have been for a con. And they've learned from that mistake. And apparently, well, what's, I, what's the place where it happened? Salt, Salt Palace. Palace. Salt Palace. They didn't rent out the whole thing. Mm-mm. And Salt Lake has said, uh, "Yeah, please, next year, just run." Well, run I, I know that when he when he started selling the tickets and stuff, the organizer had said, "Wow, guys, I think we're going to get up to fifty thousand here." And the the agents who set all the stuff up, they're like, "No, you got to be realistic in your expectations. You're you're aiming too high. It's never going to happen." And they just blew the doors off of all their expectations. There's not that so. many nerds around here, are there? <laughs> Yeah, uh, so they had the main A through E hall, which I you've been in Salt Palace before, yes, sure. So you, when we were at the the summit conference uh, with Adobe, you know they had it broken down into certain rooms. Well, that it was the whole thing. Um, they didn't open up like so. There's an L shape that comes off of it right. and goes up. They didn't have any of that open, so it was just the the main por- portion, and then for a few of the. Um, uh, uh, not booths, but uh, when they break off into different sections, sure, the the conference, the panels, panels. Thank you. That that's the word. That's the only actually. That's the only downside that I felt happened is because they had tons of panels, and like I looked through, and there were literally tons, but they didn't have any schedule for when they were. Oh, really? Or where they were going to be at? I looked. It was just- I couldn't see anything. It was just sort of like mishmash. Yeah, I okay. think that there was maybe there was I think there was an app that you could have gotten that might have given you more info. But like once I got there, that I didn't really see anything hmm. that provided information about where I could go to any of them. Yeah, so I do go to the Life, the Universe, and Everything Symposium mm-hmm. down in Utah County. Past couple of years, that is stretching the limit of my ability to interact with strangers every year, and so I'm hoping. That, you know, as I keep going to that, maybe I'll have some personal growth and be able to someday attend to something like this. It's a blast. So let me ask you, Aaron, did they say, so they talked to a lot of the other main guests and they really enjoyed themselves then? From what I've heard, yeah, most of them had a good time. Like they didn't hook up with uh, like Shatner or uh, San Lee because those guys have their own separate yeah. places where they go to they don't go to like the green room or anything but uh yeah like apparently they were really well met here in utah from that's that awesome heard, so. the, the one thing i did hear about it from other people that have been to it was everyone was very cordial everyone was very well behaved well mannered oh wasn't, yeah there wasn't any any real altercations or rudeness or things like that that sometimes you see you know when you go to a convention or you hear about other conventions having it sounds like or just in general people being around other people yeah that many people in a confined space and limited resources and things like that everything that i've heard is that 
people were amazingly well behaved. Yeah, I mentioned how I mean you were literally rubbing into, bumping into, you know, people all the time, and no one during the entire time was rude to me at all. Like every everybody was just great. Every everything. Well, they don't know you very well. <laughs> did that come across? I I bet it probably did. I apologize. I bumped a keyboard key and it ejected my DVD. So. All right. Um, okay, so that's Comic Con. Sorry, that probably went a little bit long, uh, but I it was a blast, uh, and I'm going to do it again. Uh, and I'm going to spend the rest of the podcast in this robe. Okay, that's going to happen. And uh, I may uh, may just yep go ahead and throw, <laughs> throw the hood up there. Uh, that, that's going to probably provide some great audio coming right. <laughs> nice nice directional effect. Oh yes, spectacular. Um, all right, no, no that's, that's annoying to have that on my head. And talk to Lord Vader. <laughs> By the way, the original Darth Vader was there. Oh, okay. the the guy who was in the suit. Um, Ray Park was there, who you know was was also Darth Maul, Darth Maul uh, and Chewbacca, the guy who was in the Chewbacca okay. suit, was there too. Have you seen the Kickstarter about him? They're trying to get him new knees. Apparently, he who the uh, Chewbacca, the guy who was in the suit. Oh, didn't his bad knees. That. And yeah, and he's getting them replaced, and apparently he's had a lot of help, and they're making a documentary about it. Hmm. Um, I know it's achieved its first goal, I believe, but it's, it's interesting. Good. All right, good for him. Um, okay, Joey, you had something interesting happen to you. You're talking about the horse thing? Yes. <laughs> I think it's hilarious, <laughs> and especially the way that I you know, portrayed it to other people um, on the <laughs> Facebook group. I, I thought Rhett's comment was the best out of all the comments <laughs> yeah. that we got. Um, we were out riding horses over Labor Day weekend. We went to the in-laws cattle ranch and we were all riding horses and they had my daughter on a horse that I, I think it saw a snake or something like that. Something spooked the horse. And so I bailed off the side of my horse and, you know, ran over to pull my daughter off and the horse turned itself and hit me basically it head butted me i lost that battle uh, i did save my daughter so you know there's a plus side to this but uh my face was pretty swollen for the better part of a week it was it, it, my eye was completely swollen shut at one point uh it was pretty entertaining i think for everyone yeah for everyone else but <laughs> joey um I when I saw it, I, my first thought was, "Boy, Joey's got the Bell's palsy, doesn't he, right now?" <laughs> because it was just the one side. And when I first saw you early in the morning, you were like, you made this face at me, and I was like, "What, dude? What's? The, I don't have any idea what you're making a big deal about right now." Because it didn't look that swollen. As the day went on, it swelled up so much more. Yeah, and I was like, "Wow, that really must hurt." And then the next bad. morning, I woke up and my eye was. Sh- I couldn't open my eye all the way, and I had a nice big old black eye and stuff. Yeah, well, you know. Horses kill them all. That was going to be our top five. I suggested to Pete top five ways to kill an annoying horse. Uh, apparently, he went with something else. Yes, yes, should, I should, did. Should we go into that, or do you have other stuff you want to cover? Uh, why don't we just do uh, like Facebook Find a Week? Unless Aaron, you did you want to announce anything or talk about anything that's happened to you in the last uh, while? I don't know. No. I don't know. Something could have happened to you. It's possible. Nothing interesting. Okay. All right, fair enough. Um, okay, so this is going to go to uh, listener Fishhead, who, let's be honest, is the main guy who's <laughs> posting to our Facebook group. 
um, he posted this thing where it was this weird web formation that has been seen in a couple of different places. Oh, I did see this. Yet all entomologists, all spiderologists, all people who <laughs> would know have no idea what this thing is. This weird structure where there's this pillar in the middle, almost like a maypole, and then there's this weird fence that goes around it. Yeah. Have you seen this, Aaron? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I think it's amazing. I have no idea what it is. Um, and it's just, it looks really, really cool. Naturally occurring thing in nature. It's really small, so it's not like this. You and they know, found several of them, so yeah, it's they, probably they found not a, a hoax. Yeah, they, they, found, they have found a couple. So anyway, Fish had great find there. Appreciate you, you know, all your hard efforts and, and <laughs> posting to our Facebook group. Um, I because, check it every day just to see if there's something neat. Yeah, uh, as do I. I have to say, I followed a chain of articles from that post that led me to this new spider that they found in this cave somewhere. And it's, it's a flying spider with wings and everything. Like it, it has some limited flight capability. And I think, I believe that for some people that is like their worst fear (laughs) possible (laughs) coming true. Nuke that. The the interesting thing, the, the thing in the article that they say, the very interesting about this is that this is a new breed of spider that did not exist, you know, in this area several years ago, or I don't know how far back they were looking, but they're saying the spider evolved the ability to glide. Or, or spiders and birds have been mating. <laughs> Could be. Um, I think that's awesome, and uh, we should terrorize Annie with that because <laughs> I sent the photo of it to my wife. <laughs> Great. I'm like, I'm like, hey, where are you at? <laughs> she says, oh, we're, I'm at the, uh, I'm at the laundromat with the kids, and I said, hey, check out this picture, and I sent, I used a tiny URL so that she wouldn't see the title of the picture. And she opened up. She's like, oh my gosh, what is that? It's oh yeah, it's this new kind of flying spider <laughs> that they found, and. Yeah, she she panicked a little bit. My mom used to hate me because when I would kill a spider in the house, I would leave it there, and she would say, "That's gross." There's you know dead spiders on. Our, I said, "I need to let the warning out that this is a death zone for all spiders." <laughs> but it's like putting, it's like putting the Frenchman's head on the pike outside the castle. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, okay, good, good. Um, so we don't have an email from Brainy. It may come in a little bit late. I don't know. If it is, we'll patch it back. Yeah, we've done that before. Um, So we'll go on to our top five this week and uh, favorite date ideas. Okay. Um, I chose this because, uh, let's be honest. You need some ideas. I need some help. (laughs) Um, So we did get somebody who sent something in. Okay. uh, Listener Fishhead, because this is actually, it was his suggestion. So here are his five date ideas. Coupon date. Plan a progressive meal of sorts where you go to various establishments with takeout to get elements of your meal. But every part has to involve a coupon. Hmm. So if you decide to go down to Carl's Jr., it's got to be a coupon of some sort to get your chicken strips or something. Mini date. Play miniature golf. Oh, I was sure he was going to say date uh, midget. I don't think you are supposed to call them midgets. I was going to be like, what what do we call them now? I I honestly didn't know. Little people. I think. I don't know. Okay. I don't know any. I figured it was like, you know, 
Just eat dessert and then see like half of a movie. (laughs) (laughs) He goes on, play miniature golf or watch short films like Pixar or Academy Award winners and nominees in those categories and eat mini foods like Little Smokies, mini candies, mini cookies, mini boxes of cereal. You could try making mini s'mores over a candle with mini marshmallow, <laughs> chocolate chips, and golden graham cereal bits or Teddy Graham snacks. That's like such a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fire hazard right there, is what that is. It is not an easy thing. Aaron's like tried this. Uh, like the mini s'mores Boy thing? Scout, Girl Scout camp things. Okay. Interesting. Okay. This one's weird. Cemetery. <laughs> Have a picnic at a cemetery. Walk around and comment on tombstones, names, relationships, etc. Okay. I fear the zombie uprising. <laughs> <laughs> test drive. Go to a car dealer and test drive cars together. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Okay. Last one. Volunteer. Work at a soup kitchen or a community center together. It's going gonna, it's gonna to win you bonus points. That, that's when you save for when you're getting pretty serious, I think. I don't think you make that the initial date. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's, good, that's further on in the relationship. Good call. Um, okay, so uh, Fish Ed, uh, right. thanks very much for your list. It, uh, Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Aaron, top five date ideas. You guys go. <laughs> no, no, I want to hear yours. I have a different top five list. Oh, what's your top five? Because list? I've been on maybe five dates. Oh, so you're going to give us your f- I, top I five dates that you've ever been on? I, I don't think any of them deserve to be in any sort of top ten list or top five list. <laughs> top five worst dates I've ever been on. Okay. <laughs> There's the first one. Uh. <laughs> There's the second one. It was pretty bad. What's your top five list? It's the top five things I'll do to go to Comic-Con next year. Oh, okay. I like I that to hear list. It. Do it. Okay, so uh, five is easy. Colin sick. Uh, number four, stab a hobo. <laughs> number three, stab Pete. <laughs> Since, you know, I could take your tickets. Uh, number two, fake my own death. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he has to stop and no, laugh no, at his own. one is... Um, I, I mentioned him earlier. Carry Bob DeFendi on my shoulders for the three days of the Comic Con, <laughs> and label myself as his wheelchair. Now you have to understand. Yeah, Bob weighs about four thirty. Very large man. <laughs> fantastic guy. Great guy. I I love Bob. Every interaction I've ever had with him has been great. But he's a very 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 heavy man. How is he not? Why didn't he go as Job of the Hut then? He probably could. He he went. He was like, he goes to, he helps put on the panels and stuff. He oh, he's an them. organizer kind of no, thing. No, no, no. He's like one of the people who does the flush panel. out the panels with. And oh, okay. Like at LTUE, okay. he's yeah. one of the main guys because right. he does the writing for. In fact, at LTUE, he's the only guy I know consistently. I will not have to mic up because he's got this booming, boisterous <laughs> voice. He just, he just carries through the whole room. Everyone else has got to have a microphone just so you can hear him talk. Right. Okay. Very good. Aaron, yes. good list. I, I will carry a 430-pound man on my shoulders for the three days. I don't it, think you could lift him, honestly. <laughs> to go to Comic-Con, I would lift that man. <laughs> you know, if you if you can get him off the ground, 
I will pay for your Comic Con ticket next year. <laughs> All right, I, I will talk to him later tonight. When you, when you play your D and D game with him tonight, you let him know that tickets to Comic Con are on the line. If, if, if I can, you know, pick him up and get a picture of it. Yes, it's got to have proof. Yeah. Yes. Um, here's the thing. I don't think you need to stab a hobo or me. Like, like, if you showed up with a knife, you know, and you were threatening me, I'd probably just buy you the ticket. You wouldn't actually have to stab me. Like, you know, if, if like, my boss doesn't want to let me go, I'm like, you know, I'm going, stab a hobo, you know, (laughs) or else. (laughs) Just as, like, an example. I'm willing to stab this guy. I never met him before, but I'm stabbing him. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Joey. Okay, I've got the top five dating ideas, <laughs> not the top five things I would do to go to Comic-Con, because I, it might be more of a list of things I would rather do than go to Comic-Con. Put up with 90,000 other people. Uh, so my top five dating ideas, and these are all dates that I have done. In fact, I think I did all but one of them with my wife before she was my wife. Uh, so number five, fly kites. Mm. Number four, a picnic lunch and read a book together. Number three, go to story time at the public library. <laughs> number two, go see a musical. And my number one date idea, I used to do this all the time when I was in high school. Be a little more difficult to do it now. You'd have to you'd have to find the right guy to let you into the facility, but prepare a dinner and serve it on stage under a spotlight. Huh. So you light the stage with a spotlight, yeah. you prepare the dinner elsewhere, you bring it in, bring her in, you set up a table and chairs, and you sit up there on the stage and eat dinner. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, okay, so my top five date ideas. Uh, Are you just going to list five girls? Yeah. <laughs> I've gone on more than, more than that. Uh, well, no, I'm I, saying the five you'd like to date. They're, they're still ideas. They're no. not actual dates yet. <laughs> no. Uh, I don't think I really have five. I just like, because I'm terrible at them. Like, there's the standard dinner and a movie. Okay. Um, but past that, I really don't think that hard about dates. I just don't. So my standby, I've done this a number of times, is to take a girl to the planetarium. Okay. Because yeah, that's it's fun. usually kind of unique. Not a lot of people, you know, they they'll go do other things. And I know I'm going to enjoy myself at the planetarium. Um, And then, yep, that's it. (laughs) I really don't have great date ideas. Well, now you have at least ten more. There are a few, yeah. I I like uh, Dean's. Um, A couple of yours might be tough, but a couple of them might be actually pretty decent. You could stab a hobo together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that that would probably create a bond of some sort between the two of you. Wow, Aaron. Okay, that's great. I don't Uh, know where this violence against the homeless comes from. (laughs) It's not something I raised him with. All right, Joey, uh, what's uh, what's your culture corner? My culture corner today is the short story Legion by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, this is uh, it was a fantastic little short story. I, I think it's maybe 20, 25 pages. Um, the, the premise is that there's a guy who is, he's kind of Sherlock Holmes. I mean, he's this brilliant genius, but he 
isn't able to handle the fact that it's actually his own brain that is capable of doing these amazing mental feats. And so instead he has created multiple personality disorder inside of himself and he's interacting with these multiple personalities and the multiple personalities are experts in a particular field of study. So he, you know, he, for example, in, in one part in the novel, they're flying to Israel and on the way there, he reads a book on, uh, on Israel, the Israeli language on Hebrew studies. Like he just reads the book, just turn, turning the pages, doesn't actually stop to conceptualize any of the information after he's closed the book this new persona appears in his multiple well it's not i shouldn't say it's multiple personality disorder he hallucinates other other people that have these talents so this other person comes into his life now who has the ability to speak and translate for him but he actually like so he she tells him what to say he he doesn't consciously know this information it's all subconscious and so he's farmed it off to this other personality to, to have this knowledge. And so he kind of, he does kind of do this crime solving thing and he gets hired by this company who they want to reclaim an object that belongs to them. And the object is a camera that takes photos in time. So you point it at a location you set some kind of setting somewhere. They're not quite sure how it works because the inventor never actually bothered to explain to anyone how it works. You take a picture and it takes a photo of what was in that place at that point in time. Interesting. And uh, the guy has created it because he's he's a, a of devout faith and he wants to create photos of re- major religious events in certain in certain locations uh, i don't want to say anything more about the book because i don't want to spoil it it was it's a very very fast read i think it took me 20 minutes to read the thing uh but it was incredibly entertaining i, I really enjoyed it and the the big idea of the whole thing is if we had proof or if we had proof that let's say that christ did exist or proof that he did not would that actually change anything for anyone? Certainly there are some people it would, but on the whole, we have a religious belief. It's so embedded in, in us culturally and in our self-definition. Would the proof or the lack of proof, or proof of lack, I should say, actually change anything? Uh, the, the short story doesn't answer the question, it asks the question. But it was an interesting question, and it was I was entertained in the process of being engaged in the question itself. I right. gave it a thumb up. Okay. Um, and you say it was pretty short, yeah. like short enough that uh, I could read, like uh, the, the Ender's Game book that's there on the Shorter top. than Ender's Game. Shorter than that. Seriously, okay. it took me half an hour to read. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. But you have always read much, much faster than me. I mean, you, you just consume things. I don't pick them up as, as well when I'm reading, so... Um, I'm I'm just looking for something on your shelf here that looks like it's about the same. That's okay. The, the the fact that Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game that's a book I can handle. That's that's your yardstick. Yeah, like it, <laughs> I if I see a book, I'm like, yeah, I, okay, I'd say I can it's probably that. about a third the length of Ender's Game. Right. Okay. But I'm just saying, you know, for reference, you know, like Pat Rothfuss's book, which is massive. <laughs> I would look at it and be like, no, 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 yeah. no, no. It would have to be something special that got me to read, you know, a book that was that big. 
just because the investment itself is yeah. just not worth it. Yeah, you know, I've picked before on this podcast on Brandon Sanderson. Uh, I think sometimes he is a little too enamored of himself in his writing, and his editors have not, in my opinion, historically done a good job of telling him, you know what? Uh, cut this. It's you know, just... as good as you think you are, Sanderson. That's what Joey just said. <laughs> I think he's. I think the man is amazing. He's a robot. You know, I. I think I mentioned before at LTUE. He the, this in 2012 LTUE. He read us like a page and a half of a novel that he had started on the plane that morning in February. By November, it was published as a 300 page novel. Wow. That means he got it written edited and published on the shelves by November. That's unheard of. So yeah, the guy is a machine and he writes great stuff, but sometimes I think the editors need to dial him back a little bit, but this was actually, he did a good job of, you know what? I've got this interesting idea. I'm going to put the idea down. I'm going to get it out there and I'm going to leave it. Not try to overthink the thing. Moving on to episodes. Uh, we are going to cover episode 15 through 16 of Battlestar Galactica season three and we'll start with episode 15, A Day in the Life. On the day of his wedding anniversary, Adama is haunted by the memories of his wife, and Galen and Callie avoid death in a leaking airlock by jumping through the vacuum into a waiting raptor. Okay, so what do you think of these episodes? Well, uh, once again, I, I just have to say, Moore seems to have nothing but disdain for the sanctity of marriage. <laughs> he just has nothing good to say about it at all, ever. Well, it doesn't make for a good show when you just show when when people are just happy all the time. I disagree. No problems in their marriage. Mad about you? A fantastic show about a successful marriage. Fair enough, but how many of those have there been? Well, it's just weaknesses on There's... the writer's side. How many of those people hallucinated every year after they got divorced? Um, okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so, yeah, th this episode, there's some weird flashbacks, like, it's in very schizophrenic. characters. Yeah. Like, yeah, he is gonna... interacting with this imaginary world <laughs> at several points in, in the episode. Like, they I mean, show he us. physically pulls the drawer, the, the picture of his wife in their, uh, their wedding. He pulls it out of the drawer, and that sort of just kind of begins. Yeah. Well, it, it actually starts with his wife in bed with him. Yeah, yeah, you're right. When he yeah. wakes up. They're just introducing a new character. It's head wife. <laughs> <laughs> head Mrs. Adama. <laughs> She'll be back next season, you know, uh, once again. Um, creepily touching him and having him, you know. Well, one of the cool things that I don't know we've talked about before, I mean, we've talked about, okay, what would it be like to have a spouse there on, on a, a ship, but... An actual warship where you are raising a child and you are both, you know, part of the critical running of this ship. What do you do? Yeah. You know, how does that happen? Because it seems like it would be better to almost, you know, say, well, why don't you guys go away? Or one of you has to give up your commission. Your day job? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in order to be able to take care of this. But I guess maybe there's some sort of day carrier uh, system set up. Uh, yeah, they they do mention daycare. You, you I, definitely don't have an argument when somebody is forced to sit there and listen to you through a mic. <laughs> that does get awkward. I, I, I thought it was... I really identified with Terrell at the beginning of this episode where 
he you you can just see as he's as he's getting ready to head home to his his wife and his newborn child or fairly you know fairly young child and there's there's a different set of burdens that he has to put on he's he's going he's transitioning from work mode into home mode Where he pauses at the uh... yeah he pauses and, and just kind of sinks into himself a little bit when we first had our first child I, I, I want to be clear here. I love my son, I, and I've never not loved him. But it, it, it's not the the same as when you come home and it's just you and your wife, and you know it's it's fun, sexy playtime and and things like that. Uh, it's there, there's a different dynamic there, and it takes a while to adjust to that. Mm-hmm. And we're you know uh, I remember I talked with uh, you know our friend Curtis from the podcast about an experience he had last weekend where there were some people talking about the struggles that they had with their parents. And, you know, he real, he, he, he finally had to realize, Oh yeah. Our, you know, our parents were raising us a lot in a lot of cases when they were, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, they were kids. I remember when I was 18, I was in, I was a numbskull as an idiot. The heck are those people doing raising kids? You know, we had our first kid, I think I was 21, 22, somewhere around there when we had our first child. Couldn't have, no, I couldn't have been, un, that, can, that can't 20, be right. Let's see. You ser- At the He's earliest, you be... could have been able to serve your mission at 19. You come yeah. home at 21. I don't think you were married that quick. Let me, let me do the math here. So we were married in 99. I was, I guess I was 21. 22, 23. So 24. I was 24 when right. we had our first child. Okay. Uh, anyway, even at that point, you know, I was not prepared to be a parent. And I, so I, I just, I'm just saying, I totally understand where Galen is coming from. This, this heaviness that he's about to put on as he goes in to see his wife and his kid, not because he doesn't love them, but because there's an adjustment in his life that he has not fully internalized yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, good uh, good synopsis there. Um, Adama makes a comment to his uh, wife, I guess. I guess yeah. I'll just keep calling her wife. He's like, oh, no, it's just another day. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's, it's not. It, this is, he is dealing with the emotional scars of whatever happened in his marriage all during this day. And it seems weird that he, it almost seems as though it's an exercise of him. Either he's, you know, he's berating himself over this, you know, the mistakes that may have been made, or he truly does still love her and wants to remember portions of her, even if it is just the painful memories. It yeah. It seem a little bit like a self flagellation, mm-hmm. just whipping himself with the memory of, you know, I left this. Because I didn't see one happy memory. Yeah, they clearly had a deeply dysfunctional relationship, those two. And that is something that it can be very, very hard, especially for the kind of red-blue persona that we've seen Adama portray. I'm I'm referring here to the classic four-color personality syndrome. The red-blues are the people who get angry, but then they carry the guilt about it the rest of their life that they did get angry. Uh, you know, it's very much the kind of personality we've seen Adama portray over the series. And for him to let go of that kind of damage is, is a very difficult task. Right. Um, and even once we get into Lee talking about his mother, 
And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know what? She wasn't that great. I don't know why you want to remember her as this fantastic person. Like, she really kind of let us down in a lot of ways. Well, and what's interesting about that is, you know, you are jumping right uh, to yeah, the end I'll here. Yeah, jump way, way ahead there, yeah. There's a there's a there's an aspect here of that I could really understand. You know, we grew up in a, in a home life that I would call less than ideal, just to be generous. <laughs> And, you know, there, there's always that thought in the back of your mind, what would have happened if one of my parents had left the other one? And in this case, Adama thought he was doing the best thing possible for his sons by leaving them with their mother. Mm-hmm. You know, she's the nurturer. I'm going to go off. I'm going to be in the military. I wouldn't be around. And in his mind, all these years, he's been carrying, well, you know what? At least I left the kids with their mother. They may have grown up to hate me, but... They they had that home environment that they needed, and now he's finding out, you know what? Things were not the rosy picture that you've been painting for yourself all these years, Dad. Mom was pretty messed up, and, and that had to be a very hard thing for him to hear and to uh, come to an understanding of, oh, I probably did as much or more damage to my children by leaving them with her than if I had... Yeah, he still he, tried to defend he, her, though. He asked, yeah, but at the same time, he's asking the, the phantom... Uh, memory of her is this true mm-hmm. yeah okay and in a way like going you know kind of scrabbling back through his brain going is did i leave them with just uh, an alcoholic big, yeah a big bundle of messed up hmm. um yeah okay so uh, back to the the main episode you know the tyrell and callie go they're gonna do some repairs in one of the the cargo bays um, Callie's unhappy about it. Come to find out why Chief chose her. He just really wanted to spend time with her. Yeah. Even if it was like the most weird way to do it, you know, forcing her to spend time with him. But he doesn't actually do what, you know, would have gotten him any points by saying, look, honey, I just want to spend time with you. <laughs> Can't we just go and rep- do these repairs together? No. It- it's like, no, you're my, you're my underling. You're going to do what I said because I'm in charge. Which is awkward i, I kind of understand like what he wanted because that's like where he fell in love with her is on the job and working side mm-hmm. by side with her sure yeah yeah, yeah he's trying point. to recapture that glory that that those good old times yeah uh that, you know i thought it was interesting here the the leaking airlock thing if we can just go into that here for a second yep. it seems like maybe i'm wrong here maybe i don't totally understand the physics here but it seems like you should be able to pick up any random flat object and yes. hold it up there, and the air pressure would keep it against there. You don't have to have this particular sticker thing that he was looking for. Just look around, find a piece of metal on the floor, and stick it up I there. I made the exact same <laughs> comment. Just like, just put anything in front. Your hand would work the, great because it's going to form right in the hole, and the pressure will equalize. How about the bag that you brought in with you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I absolutely thought the same thing. He but sticks a rag up to it at one point. He does. Yes. We we uh, you know we're not uh, mechanics uh, aboard. Major not astrophysicists. Starships. Yeah, um, I'm not sure what an astrophysicist has to do with this. I don't know. <laughs> but I we're, we're not listing, those either. I thought we were listing we're all the those. things we are not. <laughs> <laughs> we're not carnies. <laughs> um, I'll speak for yourself. Yeah. So okay, glad you made the the same comment. Um, let's see here. Put anything over the hole. Live in exposure for oh oh oh. Interesting. They made a comment. Adama's like, look, calm down, guys. You can actually live within the exposure of space for 
up to a up minute. to a minute. Yeah. And I, I thought, oh wow, that's really cool. I wonder. I mean, I'm sure they know that within that world. Do we know that? I don't think we do. Have we done tests with other animals to put it out and then put it back? In? Nothing that I've ever heard of. <laughs> but it sounds like an experiment we ought to run. It does seem like something, <laughs> or. or I guess we do know enough about the vacuum of space to know what would or could be possible. Um, so maybe we don't necessarily need to run, you know, any experiments. You know, I, I, the one thing that did occur to me as as we're seeing how sensitive the Galactica sensors are to a leak, a, an airlock leak mm-hmm. of any kind, I thought there's got to be some way to use that tactically. Like you don't have to make a very big hole to seal off the blast doors. I, I I hope at some point in the series we get to see someone use that as a tactical ploy of a way of you know stopping the Cylons from getting past this blast door. We're gonna go ahead and make some vacuum in this you know make a small air hole leak, and boom! All of a sudden those those pressure doors slam shut. A guy with a gun loading like a special round and just going, "You're gonna be trapped in here with me." <laughs> You know what I mean? I, I just I, I would like to see them use that as yeah, a Yeah, but the there were other ways to be able to get in and out of there, but the the concern was okay, we're gonna have a loss of life. Well, but you could slow them down. Right. I'm yeah. saying it doesn't stop them, but I, I I just I would like to see I know it's probably not gonna happen, but I think it would be interesting to see that they them take what they did in this episode and call back to it later in the series and be like, Hey, we used this tactically because we told everyone, hey, here's what happens if there's a small hole. Let, let's then use that later in the series as just a minor plot point somewhere to say, oh, yeah, remember we did this thing? Well, here we're using it again. And you could kill Humanilons with it. Yes. It's true. Since both Galen and Tyrrell, um, or both Galen and Callie almost died. Yeah. And we know one of them is a Cylon. <laughs> um. Yeah, these episodes are really pretty Cylon-less episodes. Well, except for they're so Galen-heavy. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I should have kept a running list. Like, after with every podcast, I should have like had a running list of like all of the people who you have suspected as being a Cylon. Yeah, so I actually went back and forth on Galen, I think, four times in these two episodes. Is he or isn't he? It's like, wait... Oh, yeah, it's got to be Galen. Oh, no, wait, maybe it's Kelly. No, 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 it's Galen. Nope, nope, it's Kelly. Doggone it. It's one of these two. I can tell it's one of these two. I just can't figure out which one. Uh, I ended this episode thinking it must be Galen because he handled the vacuum experience so much better than she did. You know, she she is near death. He's up walking around. I mean, yeah, he's ginger, but he's up walking around. I, so I ended this episode on... I think Galen's a Cylon. I think okay. we have some evidence. Um, I made a note. Married couples both have to try. In order for a marriage to be successful, and just to be clear, I have not been a part of any <laughs> marriage, uh, both well. people have to actually try. <laughs> and yeah, my, I've, I've got a family member who's recently gone through a divorce, and so I've had some conversations with her this week. And, you know, basically... Her husband was her her now ex was an idiot, and just you know once the courtship was over, and you know it's just he and her, he basically stopped trying, 
There was no more courtship. There was no more anything else, unless there was somebody else to see him and in, in, uh, in interacting with her. He just didn't try, and so she was like, wow, "He just became this other person that I'd never known or met." Interesting. And you know, their marriage has now ended, and it's squarely on his shoulders, or at least from the information that I've been given from my family member, it's on the, the, the husband's shoulder. Both people absolutely have to work for the marriage to work. It cannot just be one. It's yeah. gotta be both. I, 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 from my own marriage, I would, I would agree with your assessment there. Yeah. Um, let's see here. There's an interesting piece of dialogue between Galen and Kelly. Okay. Uh, he tells her, you know what? We're just going through a rough patch. And Callie says, what if rough patches are all we have left? We swore we weren't going to raise him like ourselves, remember? Um, just just a, a sentiment that, you know, I felt very, very strongly echoed mm-hmm. my experience as a first-time father. Uh, really, really enjoyed that. There, there's a lot of things here. You know, as much as I ding Ron Moore for, you know, his apparent hatred of the Institute of Marriage, uh, I have to say... His portrayal of and the actor and actress portraying the relationship between Callie and Galen here at the beginning of their marriage, I thought, you know what? I I can see a lot of echoes of the real world. It's very very well done. It it no, I don't think anyone's marriage is always smooth. There's always these set of rough patches, and yeah, sometimes you wake up in the morning and think, boy, what if what if that's all that there is from this point on is rough patches. My answer to that is, well, at least I've got Dee Dee there with me for those rough patches. Because guess what? Life is pain, right? I mean, th- thank, you, <laughs> thank, you, princess, thank you, Princess Bride. Life <laughs> is pain, Princess. Anyone who tells you different is selling something. But that's, that's what it is. That in A lot of times, we cannot see past the discomfort of the moment to think about the, the great things that are going on. But at least in those trials, at least in those times of trouble... I've got a companion there with me who is pulling, hopefully, in the same direction that I am to try and get through them. Right, right. Uh, someone made a comment. It's hypothetical until it's not. I think it was Tyrrell who who may have said that. And it kind of got me thinking a little bit. You know, hypothetical questions are fun, you know, but after a while they just get annoying because it's like, well, you're just <laughs> guessing now. Um, but... It's kind of a good idea to think about what could be, what could happen, what might be. In the case that it ever does, you've got the answer. Yeah. Uh, so even while hypotheticals may be annoying, still a good exercise to consider. I agree. Uh, on the way up here, I got a text on my phone saying that there's flash flood warnings in mm-hmm. my in the area of my home. I called my wife and said, there's flash flood warnings in our home. Start thinking right now about what you might have to do. I'm not saying anything's going to happen. We've had flash flood warnings three times this week and nothing's ever happened to our home. We've been just fine. But when I get them, I immediately start thinking, okay, I have to be prepared to throw this thing in the car, get the kids, you know, here's the important things that I have to do is go shut the power down, think through those exercises and be prepared so that when it comes, you've already thought it through. Right. Um... Uh, my last comment here was uh, as Don was putting his wife away in the drawer, he says, see you next year. You know, he still cares about her, still loves what, whatever memory he has of her. Yeah. 
and is still going to revisit her and wants to have her in his life. Uh, a couple other thoughts that I had is uh, I really liked the the topic that they brought up. I'm disappointed it didn't come up earlier, but I'm glad it finally did come up. What legal system do we try, try Gaius Baltar under? Mm-hmm. This mishmash of different legal systems that they have to deal with here in the colonies, uh, it, it really should have come up before now. We've had other instances where it should have been a question. Yeah, that's true, but most of them were like within military law, right? So that's that's set in stone. And then the other stuff was like the main like political yeah. arena stuff, which wasn't specific to any one world. It was okay, the the entire group, like we already kinda know what those There have been a couple times where I felt like they went to the military justice thing where maybe it was just kind of a convenient crutch to lean on. Hmm. Uh I liked the the whole idea of, of rescuing them by blasting the airlock open and jumping across out into the raptor. Although that worked out incredibly well for them, it could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> yes. More likely, yeah, uh, because all, all of the like the all of the floating debris. I mean, because if you think about the the debris that's going out there, that's going to be heading right in the direction of where the raptor is, because the raptor's trying to catch them. So they're going right. to try and be in the way of the yep. debris. Um, I, hooray! It worked out well. That's great. It's been 49 days without a Cylon sighting. Maybe we finally lost them, although that would make the show <laughs> different. <laughs> so I suspect they're probably coming back. Um, uh, I, I liked the, the conversation that Lee had with his fictional wife or with his imaginary version of his wife about how Lee had aspects of both parents in him. Uh, I've seen that a lot with Beth as she's getting older. I'm like, you know what? There's been very, very many times. There've been many times. (laughs) Apparently I can't English today. Uh, There've been many times where I look at my daughter. I'm like, she is so much like me that it's, it's scary. I worry for her because I know I'm kind of a mess and I see certain aspects of my own personality playing out through her. But then there's other times where it's it's like a puzzle trying to figure out what's going on with that kid. And my wife goes, I know exactly what she's going through right now. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I'll let you handle this then. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so it's been interesting. We, we don't get that so much with JJ because of the autism. We don't know most of the time what's going on with him. But at least with Beth, you know, I, I can see that. And I, and I thought that was an interesting comment. Uh, and enjoyed seeing someone else play through that. Um. The, the the last comment I had is that it was interesting that Adama and Ty kind of had similar wives, similar relationships with their wives. All right. They were similar looking. They had a similar set of problems. Uh, I think Adama, uh, you know, cut cut it off except for on anniversary day and, and got out of that mess where Ty stuck with it and tried to tried to stay in that in that instance. And I wonder if maybe Adama didn't have the advantage of looking at Ty's marriage and go, well, I don't want to end up like that. <laughs> maybe. I I don't feel the okay. same way on that, but well, maybe. And I thought it was interesting that both Adama and Ty's wife were woofers. I don't know why they can't find an attractive woman between the 
all the actresses out there to play these guys' wives. But I'm I'm actually glad that she wasn't that attractive. I've been kind of annoyed at the fact that they have been so attractive throughout the fleet, and they're just going to get more attractive as things go along. Okay. I just think there should be regular people. <laughs> that's all. Okay. Aaron, you have any other comments before we go to uh, listeners? I, I like that they show the drop in temperature as they're losing atmosphere. I've seen a lot of mm-hmm. sci-fi where it's just, oh, we're running out of air, which is, is okay. But yeah, there would be a, a definite... And they played up to it like the shots through the windows. The fog. Uh, yeah. And the, 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 the frost. frost. And uh, didn't that seem like a small hyperbaric chamber? No. Like I've seen some and they're huge usually. No, that, I've seen some that are that size. Okay. I like if I was on a military ship, I would, would don't you think you'd have the biggest one just in case you have a big It looked like she would barely fit in there. And you'd want one for your bigger soldiers. I I'm sure they have multiple sizes. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Listener comments? We have none. None. Brainy emailed in and said, hey, I'm not going to be able to contribute this week. Sorry. Oh. Have a good podcast. But, uh, so, Brainy, thanks for letting us know. But that's, yep. you know, it's quite all right. Take the week off. We did. <laughs> Several of them. <laughs> uh, okay, Pete, then your television rating. Uh, I am. No, we do sci-fi first. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sci-fi, I'm going to give this a 7. There was a lot of heavy, um, you know, interpersonal, how do I deal with this relationship in this, but it was all really done well within the aspect of, you know, what it means to be a, you know, uh, a military person in interstellar space. Not just a military person on a planet, but interstellar space. Um, and, you know, what that means. And then, of course, the the actual... Um, issue with the that bay um i i thought it was pretty well done okay aaron sci-fi i gave it a five i thought they had some neat ones but it all seemed to center around for me the the air leak so Uh, i gave it a a seven for science fiction as well i i enjoyed the the fact that they tried to keep some scientific accuracy to, to some extent of what was going on in the airlock the I thought the rescue idea was very cool, very creatively done, and also the the way Adama kind of hallucinates or whatever you want to call it that yeah. schizophrenic experience he has once a year. I thought that was very science fictiony. Um, for television, I am going to give this a seven as well because I went into this thinking, "Oh crap, it's this episode," and I remembered it being not good, and I actually enjoyed it more. Like, my first round through, I remember thinking, golly, I just want to punch Callie in the face (laughs) so hard. But I can kind of see things from her perspective a little bit. You know, she's not getting the emotional attachment of her husband that she expected or maybe used to get when they were planet side. You know, because his his, um, responsibilities take him away so much. And I can appreciate that. You know, that would be tough to essentially lose your husband, who is also your boss, um, when you really want to have this other ideal going. Um, so all in all, I thought it was really, really well done for, you know, for a sci-fi show to handle those emotional stuff. I thought it was good. Seven. Okay. Aaron? I also gave it a seven. Um, do the, the emotional stuff. I would have given it higher, but you really have to kind of know the characters in order for it to be 
as mm, okay. emotional as it is. Good point. Uh, I gave it an eight, actually. The the portrayal, mostly Galen. I connected with him, even though I'm convinced he's a Cylon now. <laughs> uh, I did Aren't connect you with you really just a Cylon, Joey? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> but uh, I know I, I totally... I have felt previously everything that he felt, and I went to bed after watching this episode asking myself, am I that guy still? Have I, have I outgrown that? Are there other things I need to be doing? Are there traps that I'm falling into in my own personality? Because let's be honest, I'm not the most emotionally available guy on the best of days. And, and so I actually went to bed thinking about the things that this show talked about and doing some self-analysis, which I think is actually pretty big. It impresses me that this show managed to cause me to do self-analysis. So I'm giving it an 8. Moving on to our next episode, Dirty Hands. Carol encourages the looters to strike. <laughs> I thought this might get your attention. <laughs> um, great episode. It was. It was actually probably the best episode we've had in three months. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. We've taken so much time. It's probably off. the best episode so far in season three. Okay. Okay. Um, I, yeah, Aaron so, shakes his head. Before we get into it, I wanted to talk about our, our conversation at the train station today. Okay. As we we're waiting for you to pick us up. Aaron said, boy, this, this is going to go really fast today. There's just not much to talk about in these episodes. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? There's the whole strike thing. I, I could go on about that for half an hour by myself. And Aaron said, what do you mean? They're, they shouldn't be allowed to do it. Isn't that the end of the conversation? <laughs> and I said, you know what? Save it for the podcast. <laughs> we can talk about it there. You're being hunted by killer robots. You, you don't get a you know strike. Uh, well, you could. It just seems like, uh, as far as humanity is concerned, it would be a poor time to strike. <laughs> Uh, you know, this episode actually starts off with just the briefest glimpse of a guy with a prosthetic arm. I don't know if you noticed yep, this. I did. Uh, it's kind of a futuristic-looking prosthetic arm. It wasn't the kind of prosthetic arm we would normally see people wearing today. It, it had it was, a hook on it. It had a hook on the end, but the arm itself oh, I've seen those before. was kind of mechanical-looking and kind of done up artistically. Uh, I just hope that guy got to keep that arm. I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> I think it was probably his real okay. artificial arm. Okay. <laughs> it was just a piece of wood and with no, some, it had to some extra bars thing. to allow for a hinge. The guys to, that to I've flex. seen with prosthetic arms don't have one that looks that cool. I thought, you know what? If you're going to have a prosthetic arm, <laughs> All right. at least if, you look like the Terminator. If you end up losing a limb, I will personally purchase you a prosthetic arm arm okay. like that so no matter which limb i yeah. lose you're gonna purchase a prosthetic arm <laughs> that's what i said i, I got the three pretty. arms and the leg <laughs> <laughs> okay so we start off with a promotion rejection uh that happens to poor Celix. Yeah. apparently they're not as hard up for pilots as they used to be where they would take any scrub whatsoever i'm yeah i'm wondering if it's a matter of the fact that you know they just don't need uh, the pilots because we haven't seen the Cylons for so long and we're on limited supply with with the number of ships so we've already got a backlog of pilots okay. maybe okay. this is all guessing 
I have no information one way or the other. But I thought it was more of the way Carol said it. Like, yep. you know, you're a trained professional who can work on equipment. You know, yeah, like sure. That's where if our they can need find is. Just some guy who's like, you know, got good instincts or good reflexes. Let him be the pilot. Yeah, and I think Battlestar Galactica's need here is greatest. <laughs> they need to have those people in that position, and that's where they should be. Uh, they know, shouldn't be allowed to just go all along and move out and do anything they at want. At some point, I'm going to stop thinking you're joking when you make comments like that and think you've become a looter. Listen, I think Ayn Rand would be unhappy at the fact that you know this person isn't allowed to increase their ability. I think okay. she would be unhappy about that. Yes, I agree. A lot of the other aspects, like when we get to the Tilium ship... Okay, yeah, there's, you know, shades of, <laughs> uh, of, uh, of of looters going on there. But this right here, she's trying you made to the, make herself the need better. is greatest joke. And so yeah. I just, oh, yeah. I, I think that Celix should be allowed to. I, just, I can understand the, sorry, you're a trained professional. We're going to find some slub who, if he dies, oops, you know, fix his wrapper up and <laughs> we'll find another one to replace it. Okay, so all of that being said, there is another side of this argument, which is don't – have you heard of the Peter Principle? Are you familiar with the Peter Principle? I have several principles, <laughs> not just the one. This is actually Peter F. Drucker, not Peter oh, Nash. all right. Uh, the, the principle – The less famous Peter. Yes, yes the far <laughs> less famous Peter. Uh, the principle, Peter Principle is people in a given organization – tend to be promoted to their level of incompetence. Mm -hmm. um, and so th there's an aspect to this that I, you know, I have struggled with myself in my own professional career where they're like, you know what? We're not going to promote you because you are so good at what you're doing right here. We don't dare move you because you might not be as good at that other thing. And you are so valuable right here. You're more valuable to the company where you're at. Uh, most of the time when that conversation happened, it has resulted in me leaving the company. Yes. Yep. I've, I've had I've experienced that with other employees. It was like, don't ever leave this position that you're at right now. You are perfect exactly how I want you. But it's like, yeah, they're not happy there, and they're going to move on. And they did. Yeah. Um, okay, so a Raptor malfunctions, and we come to find out it's because of bad Tillium. The, the refining process has some problems and they need to, you know, look into this. And so they, they start talking to this guy, uh, Zeno Finner, I think was his name. Okay. Who's the guy who was in charge of the Tilium ship. Uh, or at least he was in charge of the Tilium processing. He's probably not in charge of the ship, but I don't know. He's I think the they actually he, did say he was in charge of the ship. Yeah. He's, he's in charge of, making sure that the Tilium and all of the workers functions correctly. And he's like, look, it, it's, you know, I find it interesting. You know, we have all of these issues that we need, but you never talk to us unless there's a problem with the Tilium. Like it's only once there's a problem that I come over here and I get an audience and he's like, you know, we've got real issues. And I think it's either Dahmer or Rosalind says, well, get the gas flowing and then we'll talk. And he's like, you know what? Maybe I, you know, maybe there's going to be another problem, and that's how I'm actually going to be able to talk to you. And then he quotes the book. Yeah. Which I believe is called 
My Triumphs, My Mistakes, Mein Kampf by Gaius Baltar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is the Gaius Baltar Manifesto. Yes, where he, I don't know that we really, we get a few lines here and there, but, you know, for the most part, it's it's basically his way of trying to win back the crowd. Which, this brings up a conversation Joey and I had last night where he's agreed to let me kill the Baltar of our group. If we ever run into the situation and we have a guy like Baltar, I get to kill him so that we don't have to <laughs> deal with him over and over and again. No, no, no court necessary. <laughs> End him. Aaron has assumed that responsibility yep. and well, the consequences that go along. Well, and with then it. and then we will have a trial for Aaron. You know, he's he, he's our Jack Ruby, yeah. if you okay. will. <laughs> <laughs> our parents would be horrified at that joke. I think. Um, kill him already. Has he not caused enough problems? I, I like just... in the earlier episode where. Uh, Adam was like, can't we just give him back to the Cylons? And Russell's like, yeah, I don't think the Cylons want him either. I'm okay with that. Um, Put him in an escape capsule and leave it there. The the funny thing is, is the fact that if they had just shot and killed him, I think the vast majority of the fleet would have just been like, oh, he's dead? Okay. Because I don't think there were very many people that actually really liked Gaius yeah, Baltar when yeah. he was president of the, the, the colonies. But good on Rosalind. She says, you know what? Sucks, the, sticks to her guns. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, we're, we are tested by how we are, how we behave when our principles don't line up with what we want. <laughs> and, and that's when the true test of character comes out. So Zeno basically says, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to, you know, do this i think you're going to talk to me now otherwise nothing's going to happen and he makes his quote and she says uh men arrest him right now that is treason yep and sends him off he's like nope we're done talking this is over and done with um and that's pretty bold (laughs) pretty gutsy and they they take him away and he's in prison and this begins to introduce this discussion of that there is class structure being set up within the fleet not just class but caste yeah Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) at various points we're going to talk about how that kind of already existed within the colonies you know if you were from caprica you're most likely to be wealthy you have you know really good jobs but you know if you're from these other planets like no you were just a farmer it was like these were big planets did, were there no big cities on those planets or this is completely ag- uh, agrarian societies and like they just served the big ones like Caprica? You know, it, I, it, 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 that part felt a little weird for in me. In Asimov's Foundation series, mm-hmm. th- there's a mix. There are planets where the people who went to that planet, it's almost like like the kind of like the Puritans, you know, they they went there and and they wanted that style of life, and okay. so they intentionally yeah. held to that style of life. But there was migration between the planets, you know. You, I mean, we we know that Gaius Balter, at least he tells us, yeah, that he grew up in an agrarian society, but he went to Caprica because that's where the the culture was and things like that. Um, I I don't think it's that unreasonable. Based on the the structure, the political structure that Isaac Asimov laid out, it makes sense to me that there are possibly planets that are that have large cities and are still largely farming planets. But there are other planets where you know what the people who go there are looking for that lifestyle. Sure. It's a possibility that that is the case. 
Which ones are the ones who don't believe in doctors? I can see them just being Sagittarians. A, yeah, yeah, it's possible. If, if they are against doctors, I'm guessing a lot of science probably irks them. But I feel like this does raise a good point. I mean, we have the introduction with Celix, who isn't able to raise up her situation. She's basically told, "No, you're going to stay right here. You can't go and do anything else." And it seems, as as we're pointed out, who are all of the people who are in charge? Well, they're from Caprica or from the well-off places. And who are all of the people who are having to do the menial work? Well, it's these people who are from these lesser planets. And if you're a mechanic, then that's all you can ever possibly achieve because that that's all there is left. Rosalind's argument to this is... Well, listen, we're in a tough situation here. Yeah, nobody's got it great. Yeah, it's it's bad all over the place. You want to go on the algae producing ship, which is our food, or the waste ship, which <laughs> I got to say, that's probably the worst <laughs> ship. I don't even know why you have that ship. Just <laughs> pump it out into space. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, um, but, I'm sure they want to keep like the water. Yeah, yeah okay, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, capture the, uh, the, the water. But... Getting back to her point of, yeah, these are people who are going to be teaching their jobs to their kids probably because, look, we don't have much else to draw on. This is not the best situation anymore. Like, this is it. We're 40,000 of us and there ain't anybody else coming along. We're not able to expand and grow. Like, we're a fleet of ships flying around. What do you want from us? You know, the good old days are over. You, you don't have that chance anymore. And so two very good arguments yes. are happening in this episode. You know what's interesting is we actually watched this episode, my wife and I, right after watching a Dateline NBC special on the uh, the Warren Jeffs-led FLDS oh, okay. branch of, of the LDS church. Um, it was very interesting be because... Careful. You just call them yeah, the LDS branch. branch. They are in no way, shape, or form part of the mainstream no. LDS church. They may call themselves Mormons, but they are no Mormons of ours. No, they're, they are a different religion. <laughs> uh, what's, what's interesting is that the, you know, the, the, the police raided the, the Texas compound. Um, I, I can't don't. remember what it's called. No. No, not no the FLDS one. Okay. It's called uh, yearning, like close, for, yearning, yearning for, for Zion. Zion Ranch. Yes, yearning for Zion Ranch. They they did that on some bad information. Yep. Like they got a phone call, a fake phone call from somebody in Colorado, a, a schizophrenic woman in Colorado, called and said that she was a a person being held there in the yearning like for Zion Ranch, like a sixteen year old yeah. kid. And so that's what that's what caused them to go into this environment. And then when they get there, they find that there were truly terrible things going on. I mean, there were some pretty big mistakes being made. Uh, you know, sex with 12-year-olds. I, that's, I don't care what religion you practice. I don't think that that's acceptable personally. Um, but they, in, you know, <laughs> in the process of going in there, they were going in, they were acting on bad information. They were, and, and they did end up trampling all over these people's property they they destroyed the this building that these people had that they referred to it as a temple and and you know there was some terrible things in my opinion some terrible things happened 
on the on the part of the authorities. Now, again, I want to be clear. I'm not condoning anything that was going on there. I'm glad that those those kids that were in danger were saved and, and brought out of that. But the process and the way in which it happened was kind of wrong. And the the guy that's interviewing them, the these Texas a Texas Ranger and the guy from the the district attorney's office said. Do you feel like you guys did anything wrong here at all? Nope. Feel totally 100% justified. Have no no doubts, no regrets. Don't feel bad at all. And, I, and that to me is the point at which these guys lost my confidence. And it's the it's the it's the problem of you know what? Nobody wins. There isn't a right answer here. We all lost. The fact that these things were happening in the first place lost is a loss. The fact that the way you guys interrupted them was poorly done, yeah, poorly upon executed. Their rights. And, and there is no, there should be no one sleeping well at night who is involved in any aspect of this thing. And kind of the same thing comes up here. I, I, you know, I don't think Rosalind goes to bed at night, happy about the fact that these people are stuck in these, menial jobs that they're you know that it is becoming a caste-based society you know they're raising their kids to work on the tillium mine because they grew up working in the tillium mine i i you know tyrell at points in this episode seems to act like he thinks that adama and rosalind don't care there's a difference between caring and having an idea of what to do about it mm-hmm. seeing some having you know i can care all day long. You know, it's one of the raps that the Republican Party gets, right? That we're the hard-hearted ones. You know what? It doesn't mean we don't care. We just don't think that a bad solution is an acceptable solution. Rosalind doesn't want to put the whole fleet at risk just because these people are stuck in this unfortunate situation of these really long hours and things like this. And, and nobody wins a game of chicken. Nobody wins. You all lose for playing in the first place. And I, and I think that's what evolves over the course of this episode is this game of chicken with the fate of the human race. Yes. Um, I slightly disagree. The way that the episode is portrayed at the beginning, it's President Rosalind and Adama are kind of made to look like almost tyrants. To say, no, you're producing the Tillium. That's what you do get back to work and get us the Tillium. When in fairness, I mean, there's a legitimate reason why we need this Tillium. Yeah. Like, without it, we're dead. Like, the <laughs> well, Cylons come, we there's no way we can get away. Yeah. You know, it's, it's our escape hatch. But the way that it is shown, I think, on purpose to help help us muddy the waters here is because, for the most part... To sell the premise? Yeah, yeah, to sell the premise. Good. Um... Rosalind actually really legitimately cares about the entire fleet and all of the people and the struggles that they're in. We know this because of, you know, things that have happened before, but it's made to look as though she's like just saying, no, 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 you get back there and do your job because that's what I say you should do. That's, there's, there's no moving around with this stuff here. This is, this is all that happened. And, 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 And a feeling of, I don't care about you comes off from that even though it's not the truth it's not yeah i I can kind of understand carol's like questioning of them because it's he knows his life is hard but then he goes there and he's like wow this is bad yeah we need to do something and they 
they give him the spiel that would have worked for his people. He's like, yeah, okay, I get it. You need the Raptors. If it's the silence show up, we have to fight. But it's, you know, it's the fresh wound that he's going, wow, this hurts. You know, we need to do something. And by the end, he's like, yeah, they work together. And he's like, okay, yeah, I can do this. I can help you with this because I can see that you're working. One of the things that bugged me, though, is during one of the times he's walking through, they get mad because, oh, we need to shut this equipment down and work on it. That's not a problem. If it's going to make bad fuel, they'd be okay. You shut it down, get it clean, get it started back up. But the guys seem to make it seem like, you know, it was they're a expecting. Yeah, it's, but it's, it, it they, they, were saying, they were saying, make it work. They're not saying, you know, make it work continuously with, without, you know, by bypassing standards. They're saying, we just need the fuel. So, yeah. The um, the responsibility that Chief is given is to say, okay, Zeno's in jail. We're sending you over. Get everything going over there. And he finds, he meets some people. He's like, oh, yeah, the, I used to work with these people back in, in the days when I was in charge of the union. They respect me. They're comfortable with me. And they assume they're going to, you know, Chief's going to make everything all better for them. And the chief is still like, no, you got to get this stuff going here. And he's like, wait, where are these? Where are these filters or these the seals. O- seals? You know, where, what's going on with this? And he tries to bring this up to the president and to uh, Admiral Adama, and they're basically told, no, you go over there and you get this taken care of, chief. It's it's one of those. It's like the the Hilo incident all over again. He tries to bring this issue up to them and say, look, this is not as simple as you are making it out to be. This needs something more done here. You need to put your eyes on this. And they just dismiss him again. And it's a frustration point. Because if I was in that situation, I would want to yell at them and say, you aren't hearing me. This, there is a bigger problem than, than what you think this is. Okay. And so I think that's what prompts uh, Tyrrell to say... You know what? You're right. Strike. It's time to strike because they are not listening to us. And he basically he pulls a Lee. I see no difference between this and what Lee does. Neither you know, do a few yeah. other times in yeah. season one, where he's like, "No, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong." And I'm going to pull and you know put my gun on on you, Ty. Ty. Yeah. Um, and he's he's fighting for these people's rights as they as he sees it, which is tough because. Chief Tyrrell, to me, is a shining example of what a worker should be. He's interested in doing the job well for the sake of the job. Like right. that you don't just half-ass it because, no, you know, I, I don't have to work that hard. I'm, I'm just a, a lowly mechanic. No, he does a good job because that is the, that's inside of him. Yeah. That's his personal makeup. And when he sees that there is an injustice and a wrong there, he's like, oh, this is the only... This is the only thing I feel that I have within my power to actually do. So in this episode is one of my waffle points because Callie is pushing Tyrrell to be yeah. a leader again. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, she's a Cylon. She wants him. She's the Cylon. She wants him to be rise to the top so that she can manipulate him. But I thought, you know what? Last time I thought that <laughs> was Ellen Ty. <laughs> Who clearly turned out to not be a Cylon, just a hot mess. 
and it was Ty who was the silence. So I think I have more evidence now that both Ty and Galen are silence. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, let's see here. That, uh, in here so she, jobs. President Rosalind goes to Gaius Baltar about this book, right? The, the most recent pages in his My Struggle. Uh, and she orders one of the Marines to find the chapter. She's like, okay, search him. And he takes the guy, he takes Gaius's shirt off. Uh-huh. And then he like undoes the pants. And it, my, my wife turned and looked at me. She's like, this is going to be awkward. I'm like, well, just think how that guy feels. He has to <laughs> rummage around in Gaius Baltar's junk looking for pages of a book. That's he doesn't just... actually do it though. No, he, like he, like he's patting, <laughs> patting down very like, <laughs> Staying away he from anything. He just, there was no cupping. No, that's what I'm saying. He, there was no There was a flat hand pat well, yeah, right around you the mid he's waist. ready to go. Right, he's like, give me the gloves. Please just, cavity search here. I just, I just know that going to that man guy's mind is, please just give the pages up, man. Please hurry and give up the well, pages. And thankfully, Head Six comes along and she's like, keep your dignity. You know, th- this this is going to get you know bad for you. Uh, which is a shame. That's the only you know Cylon we see really in this episode. Um, okay, so we have this character of Daniel Noon. It's you know, Chief comes up with this idea to say, "Look, why don't we you know take people of a from other places? In let's let's yeah. move them around." So cross training is happening, and she's like, "Yeah, let's take people who have shown to have a." Uh, a propensity or a background in a certain field and we'll move them into that position which isn't really helping the caste system anymore it's still keeping them at the same level but we're getting some cross training and we meet this character daniel noon who according to the records of battles uh, of galactica is shown to be from an agrarian society he's a farmer Yes, even though he spent one summer being a farmer just trying to earn some money to go to college. He, he's, I think he's an architect or an engineer. Yeah, architect is what he yeah, says. Yeah, something big. It was like, no, he shouldn't be here. And Chief is like, oh, crap, what am I going to do about this? And his buddy, or the Tyrell's McNulty. worker, says, if we say yes to this one, there's going to be 15 more behind him. And he's like, nope, no, you're right. You're going over. You're going to be in the Tillian mine. He's like, why? Why? I have no choice in this. Who do I speak to about the this? The man just became a slave. And I have okay. a huge, huge problem with but this. But aren't they all kind of slaves right now? All of them. They, Some of them they, may have they easier kind of are, jobs. But if, if he were to just sit down right then and there and say, no, I'm not going to go and do this, what should happen to him? He's a civilian. He doesn't have to do anything. There this aren't isn't civilians the military. anymore. That's the, that's the, that was the thing I okay. was trying to get to earlier. Okay, interesting point. See, I disagree. You still have your will to say, no, I'm not going to do this. And if he was a smart enough person, or if I was in that situation, and I felt the same way as him, whereas you know he's had his rights completely stripped away from him, I would say, you know what? No, take me to prison. Put me on trial here because you are taking away. I am just a regular citizen. It's clear there is a military and they here are here on Galactica. I was on this other ship. I'm a civilian. You have no rights to do this to me. Okay, then 
we are not going to provide you any defense. We're not going to provide you with space travel. We're not going to provide you with food. We're not going to provide you with shelter. We're not going to protect you from the Cylons. We will give you an escape pod. and yeah, No, not even give him an escape pod. Give him an environment (laughs) suit and shove him out the airlock. There you go. Go be be your (laughs) private citizen. So and refuse to participate in the society. As a reminder to all of you, this is the man that you want to put in Congress. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, the dictator has just reared his ugly head. This, this is if you don't work, humanity could cease to exist. Great, I agree with that. But saying- let him choose what work he wants to do. In the end, at the finally at the end of the episode, they finally come to a good solution, which is you know we're going to have everybody just kind of shift around and do a bunch of different jobs. Even Colonial One is going to have to do yes. their fair share yeah. of the dirty work, but they should ha- allow them to choose the jobs that they no, want I, to. So, okay, so you went too far there, in my opinion. You what what needs to have been happening from episode one of this series is that every human being needs to take it upon themselves to learn every job that they possibly can fit into their brain. Sure. You should all be cross training on everything so that if someone dies, there is no, Oh, we lost that one critical skill and humanity is now screwed. And now the ship is going to blow up. Right. I I can see like, if you have a guy like this saying, you know, I I don't want to do that. You, I can see giving him a choice. It was like, okay, you go work the, the Tilium or waste processing. Yeah, yeah, You need place people in both places. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I absolutely agree with that. Just basically say, look, here are all of the things that have to get done. <laughs> Ain't none of it going to be pretty, pal. Or what they, what I think would be a better solution, which is, okay, look, th- this is, we're going to create a civilian um, army type of thing where everybody shifts from job to job to enlisted. job every you know certain number of months and you you move there may be some critical role people that may remain there to to ensure that everything you know so there's some sort of staggering or something but everybody has to then work within something the problem is this kid basically said no i'm not supposed i i shouldn't be here and he had absolutely no voice he became a slave at that point. Well, and, and that was wrong. I I tried to allude to this in our in our previous episode conversation. The the crew of Galactica. I don't know if this is a a, a failure of the writing or is Moffat British or not Moffat? Moore. Moore is no, American, American, right? Yeah, totally American. I don't know why I went to Moffat there all of a sudden. Sorry about that. <laughs> Moffat is British. <laughs> Uh, I don't so I don't know if it's more not understanding how legal systems work. I don't know where the confusion is coming in, but it seems like whenever it's convenient for the story, martial law applies to everyone. We're we're mm-hmm. all enlisted in the colonial fleet defense force. But when it when the writing wants to be a little more subtle and a little more clever, then it's oh what what legal system do we try him under? And that was my frustration with that line is it seems like whenever, you, you know, whenever we're in a, wherever, whenever we're in a tight writing spot, we just say, well, you know what? We're the military. You're going to do what we say. But there's I, never. I, I don't think that's a failure of writing. I think that's uh, that's a, a fact that happens more often than 
than should. I'm saying if that is happening in-universe and there's an in-universe reason for it, they have not made it clear as writers. I think they've failed to help us as viewers understand the intricacies of the relationship between the civilian government and the military in the inside the fleet. Because it seems like Adama basically gets to do whatever he wants to do, except for when the president gets her spying. And then he has to do what she says. Is she the commander-in-chief? We don't know. We don't know if he actually has to take orders from her or not. There have been enough ambiguous situations like, oh, okay, I'm going to nuke the Eye of Jupiter or, you know, the Temple of the Five or whatever. I'm going to nuke it. And the president's just standing there completely passive. She's not ordering him to do it. She's not ordering him to stop. She's just kind of sitting on the sidelines watching what happens. I think it's clear that the two of them are running between the two of them. Like that they... Have oh, some unwritten so, so, agreement well, that no, they're, so both, okay. on, they're both in, in like charge. In the first season, don't they say, I'll take care of the mm-hmm. Yes. Of the, so maybe the, the ambiguity but, uh, of what that means... Adama is, seems they, to get to never... decide when it becomes a military issue. And she doesn't fight him very much on it. Doesn't that kind of happen now, though? I don't know. I don't pay that much attention to In the to U.S. Politics. military? Yeah. No. No, it is a civilian... It, it is civilians at the top of the military... Mm-hmm. And, like, it's unfortunate in some cases, I think, for the people in the military. They get a little bit frustrated. My, my limited amount of experience with people in the military indicates that they get frustrated because the guys who are, you know, the commander-in-chief, uh, the, the, a lot of the staffers at the Pentagon are people who may not actually understand what it means to be boots on the ground and don't have a full understanding maybe of some of the requests that they're making of the military and things like that. But... The, the the situation is exactly reversed in our system of government today, where the civilians actually have the most authority and ultimately tell the military what to do. Whereas in this, it seems to be the military gets to decide when and what. Uh, passe comitatus kind of situation. When Whenever the military feels like it, they just get to come in and be the military and make demands and make, you know... Now, I can understand why that might be the case in this universe. What I'm saying is it's a failure of writing, in my opinion, not to make it clear exactly what's going on and are they allowed to do this? Are they really all in the military and they just don't have to deal with sure. it most of the time? You, you can be annoyed with the, with the process of the show for not having clearly established that. I, it doesn't bother me. Okay. Like, I'm just, I'm along for the ride and I'm okay with it. The uh, more of. What more wanted to do more <laughs> is to have discussion, you know, pieces that really cause us to look inside and say, okay, what's this, you know, morally ambiguous thing? Yeah. What, what, what do we all think about it? Let's show it from all the different sides here and do it from... Well, and I have to say in this episode, I think, I think he knocked the ball out of the park. I think this mm-hmm. has been one of the better episodes Overall, this will probably make my my top list Mm. for the series, uh, unless season four gets fantastic. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I just inside that appreciation of what they did in the episode, there is still that nugget of frustration of I I just don't understand. You know, you call it slavery. I call it conscription. Based on what I have in universe, it seems to be like, you know what? You've been enlisted. Congratulations. Now go do your job. (laughs) 
So let's continue on here. In in order to make the argument so much stronger, of course, this Daniel uh, kid ends up getting injured. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, and he looks down and he's like, oh, oh, you know, it's not until he looks down and sees all of the blood in his mangled arm that he realizes, oh, I'm in pain. Like, how could he have not... Oh, Don't. no, that's real. <laughs> yeah. that, okay, okay. I have had that happen so many times. The the scar that I have on the back of my right hand, uh, I peeled back about a four-inch section of skin on my right hand. I still don't know how I did it. I was walking around. I was at work, and, you know, I, 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 I'd been at work all day. You know, I got, I got up, and I went to the bathroom. I came back to my desk, and somebody said, man, you are dripping blood everywhere. Where are you bleeding? And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, you just trailed a stream of blood from the front of the office all the way to the back. And I looked down, and there's a four-inch section of skin missing from the back of my hand. No idea what happened. Never even <laughs> felt it. But as soon as I knew it was there, oh, my gosh, did that hurt. Okay, uh, okay. I can appreciate that. I, I wrecked my bike once when I was, like, I want to say 15 and uh, scratched up the back of my head. Had a fairly decent blood going in so I, I walk home and i'm like hey mom i, I wrecked my bike and i'm feeling kind of dizzy and she looks over at me and i have blood at like my shirt just just below the shoulders completely soaked in blood and it wasn't until she grabbed my head and put me under water to clean the scrape out that i felt it yeah by the way that that resulted in a trip to the hospital and as we're driving my my mother says Joey, I think he may have a concussion. Make sure he doesn't go to sleep. <laughs> and Aaron's saying, oh, I'm so sleepy. I'm so tired. She says, don't let him go to sleep. I'm like, Aaron, wake up. Wake up. She says, no, you cannot let him go to sleep. And so I went, smack! <laughs> and across the face. I was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like you said not to let him go to sleep. <laughs> it's a fantastic time in my life. <laughs> Uh, well, you you followed the letter of the law for sure. <laughs> Not nearly the spirit. Um, okay, so for me, from my perspective, it looked like his arm was a lot more than just cut. It looked like he had just seriously been maimed. Yes, he... but that, that's just it, here and there. You are correct. There are times when things happen to you, and you just don't. The know. pain receptors yeah, don't fire. Just, for some just doesn't happen right. Um, anyway, it's at this moment that Tyrrell call officially calls for the strike. Yeah. And he is, um, he's put in prison. And uh, Adama <laughs> calls it mutiny. Yeah. And says, you know what, what you just did there, that's mutiny. Because not only that, it, it, he relayed to his wife, tell the, the crew, yes. said, don't allow, I mean, put the bare bones out that you need to, but past that, nothing else. Like, you guys are on strike as well. You You are right there with us. It's like... You know, if uh, um, if uh, the Teamsters go on strike, UPS strikes with them yeah. because UPS is part of the Teamsters union. Actually, it's more like when the uh, the hostess bakers went on strike and or no, what was it? The It was not the bakers. It was the people who worked the line that went on strike, but the bakers refused to. But that's that's a closer because the teamsters the ups is part of the teamsters yes this is actually not the same union this is like an associated union that decides to strike with you okay so adama says no that's mutiny and he <laughs> put, says you know what i've just i'm gonna be there are marines taking your wife right now yep we're gonna and put her up against the bulkhead and pull the trigger and she is gonna die 
would you like to tell the people to get back to work? Or would you like me to just start killing people? And there, I fully believe that Admiral Adama was was going to give the order to shoot her and everybody else along the way to get the point across to Chief. And thankfully, Chief backs down and is like, okay, tell everybody to get back to work. Tell them to, you know, get get everything back on the line. Um, And I, I had no problem with that. I had absolutely no problem with the military commander saying... You don't get to do this. You, now, you see, when broke I, when a I military off a uh, rule. When I said that twenty minutes ago, you accused me of being a totalitarian. No, that's because they're <laughs> these people chose to be in the military. Mm. Okay, Tyrrell was not a civilian anymore. He wasn't down on Caprica. So you're you're rejecting the argument that they've all been drafted into the military yes. by virtue of yes. the the state of war that they're in. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and so everything kind of starts, the gears of working start up again. I, 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 and Rosalind and Tyrrell get to have a sit down. Yeah. Uh, Dama says, you know what? The president is ready to see you. And he's like, what, what's going on here? She's like, she's serious about this. You know, that you, you two are going to hash things out. And she recognizes the union. Yes. She says, you know what? You're she absolutely actually, right. She kind of forces Tyrrell to, <laughs> to do it. Back up. Yeah. Yes. That's She's true. like, if you're going to have this conversation with me, you need to be representing the union. <laughs> uh, and, and so they then start to have what I think should have been the first conversation so long ago to say, these people's issues need to be addressed and not just swept under the rug and said no we're in a tough situation you have to do whatever we say yeah and thankfully Rosalind comes around to that but i absolutely love adama and his forcefulness and saying this is the way things are run and because of the military this is what's going to happen right now and you have to obey my orders because you are in the military you don't get to question this civilians it's a different story there, there is one issue I had with that. Adama's whole reasoning for killing Callie and whoever else he needs to is he says, there may come a time when an order comes down the line yeah, and you yeah. have to obey it without question. I totally agree with what he says there. Yeah. But by letting Tyrrell tell Callie, oh, they gave in. We're going to get what we want. I think he undermines his own point a little bit. He's made it look like this works. Yeah, We've negotiated maybe. with terrorists, Ma- so maybe. to speak. The, the difference is Adama doesn't want to shoot no, I agree. Callie I agree. or anybody else. He yes. doesn't want to do that. And so he's happy to let it see, let all of the rest of them think that as long as Tyrrell knows. Because Tyrrell's the one who's actually in charge. He's the manager of all of these people. And he's now going to keep things in line because he understands what's going to happen. Yeah, but what if Tyrrell's not there when that order comes down? You have everyone, Some, somebody else, everyone is, is further down from Tyrrell believes that by resisting the authority, they got what they wanted. I I don't see it that way. I okay. I, but that's probably more likely my makeup and the, the type of person I am. I I, I tend to want to follow the rules more anyway. Um, and the nice thing, you know, it all ends with a nice big bow at the end where Celix is able to become <laughs> a, a pilot, which yeah. is, is cool. I like that. I think 
part of the problem that this conversation didn't happen at first is the other guy wasn't saying just, you know, these are the emergency things going on. He was like asking for overtime pay. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of ridiculous. You know, when you add a bunch of stuff and then you ask for that, it seems like you're just kind of, you know, trying to force the president to give you more money. Yeah, the the Zeno Fenner guy, he seemed he, creepy, he, shifty, he came like at them wrong. So that by the time it was Terrell, it was well, they're just looking for handouts now. And when they, you know, escalated things the wrong way. Yes. Okay, uh, Aaron, television well, rating. Oh, no, I had a question. Science fiction. Um, do, do you think the reason they haven't seen the Cylons in such a long time is because the Cylons have figured out the best way to destroy this fleet is just to leave them alone for a long time? No, I think the Cylons already know where Earth is and they beat them there. Yeah. Oh, because like a little prediction since we have no final five. One of the reasons I think this happened is because they haven't seen anything for 45 days. So it's everyone's relaxing and then going, oh, wait, and my life sucks. <laughs> Uh, Aaron, science fiction rating. Uh, yes. I should probably unfold the paper. Right into the microphones. <laughs> to let them know. Hey, before it. we get going too far, you had talked to somebody before we started this recording. Did you want to mention. After we do the rating. So. After we do the rating. Okay. Just wanted to make sure you hadn't forgotten about um, it. Sci fi 4. Oh, okay. It was more about a like a labor strike than really. You and I are going to disagree on that. No. Go ahead, Pete. I give it an 8, and it's a solid 8. Because, yeah, it's a labor disagreement, but it's done within space and it's done exceptionally well, in my opinion. I also and, and all like the Tilium mine or the the mining ship itself, okay. um, all of that yeah. is my my, my huge. TV rating. I think will bear okay. with what I okay. I also gave it an eight. And here's the thing: the doing it in a science fiction environment, as we've discussed before is what allows us to get that arm's distance from the issue uh -huh. and also to artificially create this environment where the issue is the most important thing right now. This issue that we're talking about is, is you know, I mean, whether or not the Tellium gets made, the entire literal fate of humanity could be depending on that Tellium getting processed. That The fact that it is the science fiction vehicle is what allows us to have the in-depth thought and, and conversation that you couldn't have if you just set this in America in the 2010s. Hmm. Aaron, your television rating. Okay, so I actually wrote it down this way. TV5, but this wasn't for me. I recognize that it should have been higher, but oh, I okay. didn't enjoy it more. It, it seemed like somebody had watched Sopranos the night before and went, hey, hey guys, I saw this really cool thing about labor disputes. Let's just shove that into our sci-fi setting. So Does that I, I happen can... on The Sopranos? I never watched an episode of The Sopranos. I didn't mafia, know if that was... Okay. Kind of... <laughs> to, to you, the Teamsters and the Mafia are pretty much the same organization. <laughs> so, Unions are owned by mobs. So, so, so I recognized it should probably get a higher one, but it felt like a... Just like a we're going to use this thing that doesn't really matter and just tack it on to a sci-fi setting. So, yeah. Uh, okay. A phenomenal episode at bringing up these issues. There were a couple of things that are eye rolls though, that caused me to ding it a little bit. You know, it's too perfect. This can't, the, the Daniel character, um, you know, that's just too much of a perfect <laughs> setup to, okay. to have too coincidental to, to ignore for me. 
Um, I give this a nine. I really, really like this episode. I love the discussion that we had on this podcast because of this episode. Probably one of the better ones we've had in a long time. Um, and it it does make for watchable television, in my opinion. Really great watchable television. I also gave this a nine. This is the best thing we've seen on Battlestar Galactica since the bucket drop. Uh, yeah, so I mentioned uh, my friend Robert J. Defendi, Bob. And so I wanted to plug his uh, audiobook, Death by Cliche, which you can find on playtesting.net. We'll put a link, I guess, up on the thing. It's a, it's a really funny look at a man trapped in like one of the worst Dungeons and Dragons games ever, but like he's living it as if it were real. And yeah, so this, this is a guy who's, is he hallucinating this or he, like he's, he's been traveled? So he's shot in the head he's by the, the guy who makes the campaign and then wakes up as the character he is. <laughs> so made. almost like a, a Wizard of Oz kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, kind of Wizard of Ozzy. That's, that's a good Only, one. you know, if the Wizard of Oz were a really badly written Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> module. So not bad things are happening to him. It's just like terrible, you know, Writing. tropes. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, and failure to correctly understand the tropes and applying them. <laughs> Hence uh, the the title, uh, Death, Death by, by cliche. cliche. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening. There's so much more.